0: Thank you so much, Flo. Uh, Hi, everyone. My name's Andy. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an elder. I can't grow a beard. (laughs) Although that wasn't the thing that excluded me. But they do occasionally let me have the pulpit. And we're going to talk about John 13 today. So let me pray for us. Let me pray for myself because uh, I'm going to need it, and, uh, and then let's tackle it. Lord God, as we open your word, we ask that you would speak. Not me, not clever ideas, not fancy words. Uh, Lord, just go for the heart. Uh, we ask that we would hear your message, uh, that it would hit us in the heart, that it would change the way we think, the way we feel about you, about ourselves, and ultimately, Lord, uh, about our relationship with you. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. There was this church, apparently, who was so impressed with their pastor. He was kind. He was gentle. He was wise. Above all, he was humble. So humble, in fact, that the elders got together and decided for his birthday to give him a T-shirt. And it said on it, Most humble pastor... He was very chuffed. I did say this is a theoretical church, didn't I? (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) Shubbs. And then he wore the church, sorry, then he wore the t-shirt to church and the elders sacked him. Just a silly story, just a silly story. A theoretical church, a theoretical pastor, a theoretical eldership. But it reminded me a little bit of what this passage uh, is about. Uh, let me tell you a couple of other things that have kind of intersected in my mind uh, when we get to John 13. Uh, have you ever seen this uh, scenario happen? Uh, dude, you need to stop apologizing. You apologize for things way too much. Sorry. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I, just, I, just, I just find it funny. Um, <laughs> Or oh, oh, how's this? Right, I, re- I read this report, and, and it, it kind of it went something like this. Actually, I literally read this report uh, in the last couple of weeks. Uh, research shows that companies that are honest and trustworthy and who put people before profits are more profitable in the long run. The paragraphs go on and on, and then uh, the business analyst who's writing this report says, basically, he says this, well, if that's more profitable, then we should probably try that. Instead, and I think instead of what you know, (laughs) what have you been doing all this time? Why am I telling you all this? Let me throw you back to something that's not in John thirteen, and let me, and then let's join join the chapter. At one time. Jesus and his disciples were walking along the road. I don't know where Jesus was in the row or in the road, uh, but the disciples were arguing amongst themselves. And I can kind of see Jesus walking on ahead and the disciples hanging back and having a bit of discussion. And now you're arguing about who would be the greatest. Who would be the greatest or who was the greatest amongst them? Uh, I don't know who won that argument, whether there was a winner, but it's out of that passage they they end their journey and Jesus says, "Hey, what were you guys chatting about?" And maybe sheepishly, or maybe realizing that Jesus knew anyway, they say, "Well, we were talking about who was the greatest." And it's out of this passage, uh, it's in Luke, it's in Mark, it's in Matthew that we get these words: "If you want to be great, be a servant. If you want to be great, be a servant." And now with his disciples in John thirteen. Jesus, in a really real and practical way, goes to teach his disciples about being a servant. He actually goes to teach them about humility. And believe it or not, this passage actually gives us two big examples of humility. Not one, but two. Firstly, we're going to look at the whole foot washing thing. And then we're going to take a look at Jesus as he predicts his portrayal and how he deals with with Judas. Now, what has that got to do with humility? Wait and see. Open your Bible, if you have it, or if you have these little uh, journal Bibles. uh, It's a good habit for you to have your Bible as we look at God's Word together, and it's good accountability for me, uh, so you can call out the heresy when you hear it. I haven't planted any in this sermon, Uh, (laughs) but just in case there is some. Let's get some context here. Let's set the scene. They've They've come into Jerusalem. Jesus has come to Jerusalem. He's arrived on a donkey. There's been huge celebration. There's more hoopla than a Donald Trump rally. And the the people are calling out for Jesus. They want him. Hosanna, save. They just can't get enough of Jesus. He's a big time celebrity right now. Even the Pharisees, they spit the words as they say it in disgust. The whole world has gone after him. They can't stand it. They cannot stand it. And it's just before Passover. Why the mention of Passover? This is the Passover. This is the Passover where Jesus is about, he's going to be crucified. And so John's saying, "It's right. we're right on the verge here. We're right to enter that really dark time for Jesus. And Jesus knows. Listen to... Uh, listen to it as we read from verse 1. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath and needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. "'Do you understand what I've done for you?' he asked them. "'You call me teacher and Lord?' And rightly so, for that is what I am. But now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We need a pause here. If you offered to wash my feet, just, just go there, imagine. If you offered to wash my feet, I would think that you were weird. Not only because, you know, feet are not the nicest thing uh, to handle, but kind of foot washing is not what we do. Uh, it's not a day-to-day thing here. The disciples thought Jesus was being weird but not because foot washing was abnormal, because this foot washing was abnormal. So let me tell you a handful of things about foot washing before we go much further, because unless we kind of understand the picture, it's much harder to get the meaning. Foot washing gets at least 20 mentions in the Bible. That's not small. Most of them, though, are not, it's not about symbolic foot washing. It's not like a ceremonial thing. It's just a casual mention. You know, come in and wash your feet. So and so said, "Like, oh, it, it was just a thing." Why did they wash feet? Well, it was because Nike and Adidas didn't exist; only Birkenstocks. <laughs> Everybody wore open-toe shoes. There was no sealed roads, there's no concrete paths, no asphalt, and because you're wearing open-toe shoes in the dust, you got all kinds of yuck on your feet and your shoes when you've been out for the day. One source even tells me, tells me that uh, the combination of uh, open-toe shoes, dirt roads, and people who are inclined to... Well, sorry, no flushing toilets, and people inclined to empty the t- chamber pot out the window, uh, meant you really did get all kinds of yuck on your shoes and on your feet. And so now that you've crossed foot washing off your careers guide list, you can kind of see why it would be nice to come home and have your feet washed. Ah clean feet again. That's why they washed feet. Secondly, having clean feet wasn't just nice to have, it was nice to offer. It was an act of hospitality. In Bible times, it was an act of hospitality. You, you, when someone comes to the house, you offer them a cuppa. That's hospitality. In Bible times, you would offer them a foot washing. Hey, come in. Let's get your feet washed. Thirdly, feet washing was a rubbish job. Nobody wanted to do it. It was given to the most lowly person in the moment. It was not a job for the host. It was not even a job for the servant of the host. It was a job for the lowest servant of the host. If you had multiple servants, it would be the lowest of those servants. We get a glimpse of this when John the Baptist said this, he said, there is one coming whose shoes I'm not even worthy to untie. That job, that was the foot washer's job. To wash the feet, you untied the sandals, took off the sandals and washed the feet. John the Baptist said of Jesus, I'm not even worthy to be the lowest servant of Jesus, the one who would wash his feet. That's that would be too high a calling for me in relation to Jesus. That's how low it was. That's how low. And so we now now we kind of get to the weird part, right? Jesus, Messiah, miracle worker, God in the flesh, the one who's been saying, I am, about himself. Not I am something, but just I am. The one who walked on water, raised the dead, healed the sick, turned tiny lunches into massive feasts. That Jesus, that Jesus, takes off his coat, ties a towel around him, and starts washing yucky feet. In Bible times, a disciple would be happy to serve the teacher, but not even a disciple was asked ever to wash the feet of the teacher. Not only is Jesus washing feet, but he's doing it backwards. He's turned everything upside down. This is the weird part. He has turned everything upside down. And not only Jesus... Is doing that but then he sits down around the table and he says to them all looks them in the eye and says now that i've done this for you i don't expect you to do this for me i expect you to do this for each other guys this is a lesson about humility humility it is really hard to find a good definition of humility i went searching uh I found a couple of cartoons. Here's one. Uh, one guy says to the other, Wait a minute, Socrates, is that you? Socrates with a Gratto mask dis- uh, disguise on says, Oh no, you must be, have me confused. My name is Socramanda. That's right, Socramanda. Although this Socrates you speak of is very wise. Not humility. Not humility. That's just kind of boasting vicarious boasting uh here's another one this is not humility uh i'm not really a genius sorry did you say something yes i'm practicing my false humility is this just a way to weasel compliments out of people oh no i could never be that clever hard to find uh, a good definition of humility uh one that I looked up just said the state of being humble. That kind of sounds a bit circular to me. Uh, here's, here's what is useful for me. I hope it's useful for you. Basically, humility is the opposite of proud. Humility is the opposite of proud. Jesus is showing us here not just what humility is, but it is something good. It's not false humility. He wasn't saying, hey, I hope you liked that. Was that okay? You know, I'm practicing my foot washing. And everyone says, oh yeah, no, that was great. I could talk for a long time about humility and kind of what I've learned about this. And, and anytime, you, anytime anyone preaches, you know, you learn this much and you've only got time for that much. Um, let me tell you uh, just a few things. One, humility could come from comparison. Humility could come from comparison. I play basketball, not very well. My feet are bad, my knees are bad now. Uh, if I wanted to feel good about myself, and occasionally I do this, I play basketball against my kids. Oh, man. I can get it in, they can't. I feel good. But if, I, if I wanted to be humbled, I would go and, look, I would go and hang out with the Sam Neils and the others of the world. Or even go like really humble, go and hang out with you know some people who play basketball for a living. Go and hang out with an NBA team. Okay. Now I'm humble. Humility could come from comparison, but Jesus' humility didn't. Did it? Because he wasn't humbled by his disciples. He wasn't lesser than them. It wasn't like he was standing next to Andy Boar, standing next to an NBA player saying, oh, well, look at the yawning gap between us and my basketball talents. I feel very humble. Jesus stood amongst his disciples as the greatest, as the greatest, The ultimate. Real humility doesn't come from being humbled, something that's done to you. Real humility comes from a choice. It's a choice. Jesus, in fact, chose humility in this setting. Jesus set an example by the choice that he makes. This makes me realize that Actually, there's a difference between being humbled and being humble. Right? There's a difference, not just the D, but that D is a decision choice. That's, that's a decision, the difference. And so even though this, this foot-washing experience, this thing is blowing up Peter's brain and he, and he can't handle what's going on here, we kind of get a flushback, I guess, to what Jesus has been on about for the whole time. This is not the first time Jesus chose humility. Jesus chose to leave heaven. Jesus chose to give up, you know, supreme being status and take on the form of a human. Jesus chose to be born to a poor couple in a stable. Jesus was obedient to his father. He didn't strut around earth saying, I'll do whatever I please. He said, I'm here to do the will of the one who sent me. Humility. Humility. The words, I'm not my own, the words are the one that the Father gives me. Jesus echoes those, that message a lot if you read the Gospels. Jesus took up human life for one reason only, so that he had it to lay down again as a sacrifice. Humility was a choice. I wonder for you whether there's an opportunity for you to exercise a choice And to follow Jesus' example of humility. To put aside your rightful position. Put aside your rights. And to serve the ones that God has called you to love. We all have positions where we kind of have the edge on someone. If you're a parent, man, you've got the edge on your kids. Well, I hope you do. But God calls us to humility. I'm not saying let put your kids in charge, but I'm saying serve them. Ask God how you will serve your kids. Not just, I'm the boss, you do what I say. How can you serve them? People in business, you're in a position of power sometimes over your employees. How can you serve them? Do you know when you're in the shop? I thought about this. When you're in the shop. What's that saying in retail? The customer is always right. Man, you are in the position of power. You've got the money in your pocket or the Visa card or whatever it is. And that person is kind of at your disposal. You ask the questions, they give the answers. You want a discount, they'll punch their calculator. You're in a position of power, but how can you serve that person? How can you represent Jesus in that moment? How can you choose humility? I wonder sometimes whether we let the almighty dollar the need for a discount, our unhappiness with the warranty, or whatever it is, get in the way of humility. Are we willing to follow Jesus' example into those settings? Not just, you know, in my small group or when I'm witnessing to an unbeliever. Now I want us to go back and just think about this little exchange between Peter and Jesus. Uh, Peter's having a bit of a disciple meltdown. It's been three years. He's been watching Jesus all this time. He thinks he knows Jesus and Jesus surprises him yet again. Like, Jesus, you washing my feet? Like Foot washing is kind of out of bounds anyway, but this is all wrong. All backwards. Really hard. Jesus' words to Peter seem a bit harsh. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. Now, the scholars are kind of divided on what this actually means. Was he saying, well, hey, if we don't go through this little ceremony here, then you're out? No, I don't think so. Uh, But was he saying that this, this moment right now was a spiritual one? Or was he saying that if you're not allowing me, if you will get off your little high horse here and allow me to serve you this way, then that's what the kingdom of God is about. You you need to understand this. The meaning is not clear. The scholars are divided. But here's, here's what does kind of exercise my mind. Two things. One, good old Peter is expressing in words what most of them may have been thinking. This is weird. I don't think this feels right. But was it pride or was it despair that was motivating Peter to speak up and object? Was he saying, oh, no, 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 no. I'm too lowly and you are too high This doesn't feel right. Or was he saying, no, 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 I don't want to be helped here. I don't want someone serving me. I don't know about you. When someone offers me help, to accept it is an act of humility. Because you're saying, Yeah, actually I need help. Now, a little while ago, probably probably late last year, I took my kids into the bush and we went and saw this big tree in the bush and then we came home. I know, it sounds weird on our way home, we come home the long way through the forest, and as we're driving along the side of the mountain, I look down the bank and I see a car. I see a four-wheel drive on its side and further down there's a track, and I see a guy standing on the track. I think, wow. What has just happened here? So I race down, turn up the track, and find this guy. He's shaking like a leaf. He's white. And I say, dude, is that your car up the hill? Yes. What happened? Well, I fell off the road and slid down the hill. I said, how did you get out? I had to climb out the window that was open. I said, are you feeling okay? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. Do you want a drink of water? No, no, I'm fine. Can I offer to stay with you while someone comes? Who's coming? Oh, the tow truck's coming. Can I do anything for you? Nah, mate, I'm fine. He wasn't fine. (laughs) He wasn't fine at all. But I can identify with that approach. I can identify with that that stance. I'm fine. I don't want, I don't want need, I don't even want to acknowledge my need for help. My suspicion, I don't know, wasn't there. My suspicion is that Peter may have been more proud than despairing hey, 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 I don't want this kind of help. I don't, want, I don't want to acknowledge my need for anything. Until Jesus pushes him a little further and he says, well, hang on, this is what it's all about, Peter. And he finally relents and says, well, in that case, man, I need, I need to be washed all over. I need it all. Pride may have been the motivator, or it may have been despair. Despair. And despair sounds like this. I've literally heard these words come out of someone's mouth. God could not forgive me, that would be too much to ask. God God could forgive you, Andy, but he couldn't forgive me, that would be too much to ask. I'd love to be rid of whatever it is from my life, but God couldn't deal with that. It is unforgivable. That would be going too far. We can take comfort from the way that Jesus deals with Peter. This demonstration, nothing was too far. Not only was he washing the disciples' feet, it was Jesus, the teacher, washing the disciples' feet. And if we think about this next part of the chapter, which we won't have time to read, Judas was one of the disciples. Jesus was washing Judas' his feet. The rest of the chapter gives us this real insight as to the humility that Jesus chose. Jesus is about to be betrayed by one of his own followers. That in itself would have been highly embarrassing for a Jewish teacher, to be betrayed by one of your own followers. I don't know what you would do if you knew you had a bad egg in the 12. Would you just sack him, bump him out? announce it to the group, see what the group thinks. Jesus actually has just done the exact opposite. He has knelt down, washed Judas's feet, and then as a gesture to Judas, he dips bread into some sauce or wine or something, and he gives it to Judas. Now, we don't see any significance in that. That was a customary way of saying, here's my honored guest. Here's my favorite guest. Out of all the people that are here, I'm so glad that you are here. Man, that does my head in. I'm not going to go into great detail over these verses, but you can know this. Jesus washing the disciples' feet, Jesus and his treatment of Judas, Jesus going all the way now, towards the cross it has this in common number one it was Jesus' plan not anyone else's it was his idea it was his idea to wash their feet it wasn't their idea it was his idea to treat Judas the way he did it was his idea to go to the cross God foreknew God knew God planned Yes, the Romans had a part, the Jewish leaders had a part, but God knew it would happen. And he allowed it. It was his plan. Secondly, it was an act of humility. It was humility that was chosen. Jesus didn't get humbled. He was humble. He was the teacher. He was supposed to be the one who would be served. He was perfect. He was the one who did not deserve to die. And yet, that's what he chose It was an act of humility. Thirdly, he did it willingly. Jesus insisted on washing the disciples' feet. He didn't allow Peter to stand in the way and say, no, 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 skip over me. That's not going to happen here. Jesus said, no, this is important. And he did the same when he went to the cross. He humbly submitted to the Father's will in order that he might die for you and me. Fourthly, not only was it his idea, not only was an act, it was a deliberate choice, not only did he do it so willingly, but it was motivated by love. It was motivated by love. Verse 1 Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. His love just didn't extend to smelly feet and dirty sandals. His love actually extended all the way to the cross. He didn't give up his status. He gave everything to the point we had given his very life. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a Christian here today, I want to leave you with this. The gospel leaves no room for our pride. No room for our pride. Pride is when we put ourselves next to someone else and we consider ourselves better than them. It's the comparison thing. It's not the choice thing. Pride is comparison. Pride is the opposite of humility. But you can't really get proud about something that you didn't earn. When someone gives you a gift, you can't say, hey, hey, look what I did. No, what you do is you open a gift and you say, wow, look what they gave. You can't get proud about something that you didn't earn. And so I pray that for us, Who might be followers of Jesus, that that would sink in afresh for you today. I hope that it would help you see what we are. We're sinners, saved by grace. We've been given a gift, and we've opened it and gone, wow, wow, look what Jesus has done. I pray that would be the motive for a fresh humility. In our lives, of humility that is chosen, not because we want to run around saying, Hey, I'm being humble so that I can be great, but a humility that's based on the choice that Jesus made by saying, Hey, I'm gonna give up. I'm gonna give up my rights so that I can serve and love others. If you're not someone who's a Christian, if you've never come to that choice where you've said, yeah, I need to do something about Jesus. I need to decide what I'm going to do with him. Maybe you've been listening about Jesus for a while. Maybe this is not the first time you've heard about him. Maybe it's something you're deliberately exploring. Maybe this is brand, brand new. Then I need to to tell you, you've got a decision to make. It's not complicated, but it's life-changing. Because right now, you've got yourself in charge of your life. You're the boss. You're the king. But if the current king can't deal with the yuck in your life, then you need a different king. If you're the king and you can't deal with the yuck in your life, then you need a different king. You need a servant king. You need Jesus. He came as a humble servant, not to be served but to set us free. To set us free from the guilt and the shame and the hang-ups and the addictions and the habits and all the yuck that gets stuck to you as you go about life. So not only is there no room for pride, good news, there's no room for despair. There's no room for despair because Jesus is there. Nothing is too far. Nothing is too low. Nothing is too yuck. He can handle it. I loved hearing a a kid say this prayer. (laughs) I'm getting a bit emotional, sorry. I loved hearing a child say this prayer Jesus, thank you for dying for me so I don't have to. Thank you for dying for me that I don't have to. The reality of the gospel is that simple. It is simple, but it's life-changing. You can pray that prayer. And if you want to pray that prayer, then I challenge you to do that today. Don't wait. We want to speak to you about that. We want you to be knowing that Jesus Mike and Bron are both going to be up here in the front row straight after the sermon. And they would love to pray with you. I would love to pray with you. Shabu and John, they would love to pray with you if that's you. I'm going to pray for us now as we get ready to close with one final song. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for that humility, which is like a gift your position, your greatness if we were to compare ourselves to you, we'd be the ones who get humbled and yet you come alongside us and you say, allow me to serve put your pride aside, acknowledge your need let me help, let me love you Lord, I pray that we would not get in the way I pray that anything that's in the way would be put aside Help us, Lord, to be honest about the state of our lives, about the state of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be honest as we look at our need for you and to say, yes, please, I need that. But I pray that even if there's one person here who's in that place, that person would be honest. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.